Hi everyone, thank you for listening to today's True Expat Story. Today we have Sean Moore on the line, who has spent six years in China teaching in multiple types of schools, and now is back in DC area in the states for six months. We would like to learn from his experience. Thank you for joining us today, Sean. Hi everyone.、Uh, hi Linjing. How are you? Um. So Sean, six year is not a short period of time. Would you go over your um chronicle with us?、Uh, places that you've been, schools you've been taught, and which are your favorite ones? Sure. Ah,、uh, they're all my favorite ones for sure. Um, my first year was working um with a nonprofit called World Teach, and I came in as a teaching fellow. They gave us sort of. The basic TOEFL training and sent us out to schools、um, across Hunan Province. That were,、um, in my case, mine was like the furthest from Changsha, which is the capital of Hunan Province. And I was living in this small mountain town,、um, teaching oral English to these huge classrooms of、uh, senior one and senior two、uh, high school students. What would In America, be、um, sophomores and juniors in high school.、Um, so I was there for about a year.、Um, after that, I went to Chongqing with the、um, U.S. government Peace Corps program、um, on a short-term assignment. I was、uh, supposed to fill in for at, at the school which had lost its teachers.、Um, so I was teaching at the Chongqing University of Technology. Um, which is kind of right in the heart of Chongqing City, and so I got to move to the big city from like the small mountain town, and there I was teaching all kinds of classes, mostly、uh, teaching English for accounting majors, and then also teaching some、uh, kind of specialized seminars for English majors,、uh, teaching things like intercultural communication, American culture and society, public speaking, things like that.、Um, And I really loved it there. I stayed on an extra year after my Peace Corps job sort of wrapped up.、Um, and during that second year, I also had some other jobs like teaching in like uh, private uh, English centers, things like that,、uh, out in rural areas, which was fun.、Uh, from there, I worked for a while with、uh, Teach for China, which is a nonprofit organization. They used to have a large fellowship that would bring in American teachers. Um, who had just graduated from top colleges, and since these people didn't necessarily have teaching experience,、uh, my role was to sort of like help them adapt to the classroom、uh, as they get into this.、Uh, oh, my my site was in Shanto, which is in Guangdong Province,、mm, sure. um, and in yeah, in that area we were working with.、Uh, These schools out in kind of like manufacturing districts, schools where kids might, you know, study, you know, their normal eight-hour school day, seven and a half-hour school day, and then when they get out, they would, at the age of like twelve or thirteen years old, they'd go out into factories and work for hours and hours and hours, either you know, for personal spending money or to bring money back and help support their family. So it's kind of a You know, a different type of challenging school.、Um, interesting to see the differences between like the mountain town and then like the the manufacturing district of the big city, right? That's very interesting.、Um, from this, yeah,、uh, yeah. and from there, <laughs> my last role, my most recent role was、uh, I went to the big city. I went to Guangzhou, which is uh, famous uh, for a lot of English speakers as Canton. And in Guangzhou, I lived there for three years, working in.、Uh, 
a private English uh, education center, uh, which is uh, sort of a common type of job uh, that you can find in any kind of second or uh, first tier city in China. Um, and that was really cool, living in the big city and working with all kinds of students from my youngest students would be like 11, 12 years old, all the way up to people who were like retired, um, people at every level of their profession and people, some people who couldn't say anything in English and other people you could talk to them about like politics and the economy and the business world and things like that. So that was, uh, the, yeah, for one favorite, I would not be able to pick a favorite job between them, but I love, I love them all. Wow, that, that was very interesting. So one comment and, and one question. So you've been in a small mountain town in, uh, not in Sichuan, but in, in Hunan, right? And you were also yeah. in, the f in a town where it's mostly factory industry um, in Guangdong. That reminds me of a journalist couple back reporting in, in China, but they're Americans. The husband wrote a book uh, in Pei Sichuan called River Town and he was teaching English there too to rural kids and his wife wrote a book called Factory Girl uh, in the place probably oh, right, right, right. near to where you are yeah it's very interesting and my, my question would be um, you mentioned that you you received a TEFL training when you started the job and later on you teach other people who hasn't had any um, teaching professional teaching training. We would like to know what does the TEFL classes contain or te taught you to be useful in your teachings? Someone who knows how to speak English but hasn't received any proper teaching trainings mm -hmm. as, as opposed to you, how would the classroom be different taught by two teachers like that in China? Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, the organization I was working for with Teach uh, for China actually did uh, an absolutely amazing job of training their teachers. Um, this is based off of a program that's here, uh, started here in America, Teach for America, um, and then it, there's sort of a network of international organizations that share the same values of sending teachers into um, uh, it's actually not sending teachers, sending recent graduates into um, situations where they'll be first and second year teachers um, in schools where that traditionally have a harder time retain, retaining teachers or um, attracting high quality teachers. And so um, that actually, somewhat similar to the teaching fellowship I had done with World Teach, uh, both of these programs. Uh, offered a good amount of uh, English as a second language teaching preparation or TEFL certification. And so um, that I saw a big difference because, um, you know, uh, people come in with a, more of an idea of connecting to teaching as a sense of a mission or something like that. Uh, much like uh, we often think of people who go into a traditional teaching career, people who just go to college to learn to be teachers. Um, many of these people like have like great aspirations, right? And so uh, those teaching fellowships were uh, ways that they gave people sort of the, the basic toolbox of what they'd need to be teaching fellows and sent them off into the 
uh, into the field, as it were. And so um, what I saw a difference was uh, actually when I was working um, in, in the cities, I would meet folks who had not gone through that process. Um, people who, um, I don't know how, but you know, there's so many job openings in China that sometimes people do get hired um, just for being sort of a native speaker, right? Mm -hmm. And so these people um, have all kinds of uh, different experiences, right? And of course, many people can learn to be great teachers, though like, uh, I would say that it happens that <laughs> people go into uh, classrooms and such without enough training, right? And when you haven't had the, the training sort of how to be an effective teacher, like you can end up like having these really common frustrations of not knowing how to um, deal with behavior problems in the classroom. Um, and so people start saying like, oh, my students are just like so mean or something like that. Like it's pointless to teach them. People can get kind of intimidated uh, in that sense. Another one is like, uh, I would say that a lot of the people I've worked with in sort of mission-driven settings are going to connect more deeply to this idea that like the people they're working with are like super valuable and that they can change, that they, they can learn, that they're connected to that. Where as in the private uh, teaching world, like sometimes you'll... I've, I've, known folks who sort of like make fun of their students like oh their English is so bad and you kind of turn to them and go like how's your Chinese <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, yeah you meet folks who sort of don't realize that they have these uh, sort of like unequal ways of evaluating their students versus like their own experience in China yeah, I was a little confused. So you you were saying those people who consider teaching a mission, mission they were connected to a value, but they also would be judgmental to the English level students' English level. Are they the are they the same group of people or no? Um, sometimes they overlap for sure. Um, you you can have a teaching fellow who's burnt out and all of that, um, or a, a volunteer teacher who's uh, just. Uh, overwhelmed by the the challenge of their teaching situation but um uh yeah I, I i meant to make the comparison that sometimes uh in the private world you have a teacher who's not been uh the, the, their motivation is something other than like i want to go and i want to make a difference in someone's education right that might not be what drove them to make their career choice yeah so I sort of having a, a simple, small experience lately teaching um, beginners Chinese. So I started very, like, uh, I speak really fast and I didn't really think from their perspective how they need me to start simple and, and slow when I'm speaking. And I think teaching any languages, the second language, might require some patience or different method and thinking out of the box of a native speaker, right? So is that something you have learned over experience or from TEFL? Or what's your most useful tactic or method you have developed in the classroom? Well, I think like... Um the public schools, uh, there's a, a big difference there for me. Like in the public schools, you have to keep people's attention 
all of the time, and you have to make it accessible to uh, a ban, a class group, that where you might have like, you know, five students, ten students, or these star English students, and then you have like twenty kids, or um, really, as is the case in a lot of the um, sort of. Uh, middle school and high school teaching settings, you might have like 40 kids or 50 kids who are not keeping up uh, with um, the 10 kids who dominate the conversation in an English class, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so to make, um, to give them an experience where they can turn around and use whatever English they have in the classroom through uh, a, a communication, communicative activity or, um, you know, by producing some kind of uh, written work or something like that or like a project together where whoever is in the classroom is able to demonstrate their ideas um, while the people who are going to be sort of like star students in English they can you know take it to the next level in their own way in a way that interests them so like having an activity that has like a clear baseline and then like multiple directions for how to make it flashy, right? That works in a lot of bigger classrooms. Um, I've had uh, very similar experiences uh, with what you're talking about, about the idea of an oral language, right? Um, mm -hmm. Working in the private language training centers, there are so often small class groups. Um, and I have gotten over the habit of the uh, past couple of years of talking the way I talk English normally and <laughs> just telling, telling my students, it's like, I can switch this off. I can speak to you like, uh, like you think that language teacher should speak, right? Mm -hmm. I can speak that's clear, parsed out way. Mm -hmm. um, but then, like, I get into this conversation with my students, like, that's not necessarily helping you because that's not what English sounds like in the real world. Right, sure, and sure. I try to give them some kind of guarantee that I speak English somewhat standardly and things like that, and that I will help them understand what I'm saying, but mm -hmm. to, to get them to turn off their sort of intellectual grappling mm -hmm. with English. You know, so many students, they, they're fighting with the grammar and the vocabulary and things like that. Try to get them to turn off that brain and to really start opening up their ears and getting into using English uh, to have a conversation, to exchange information, to learn about a person. Uh, when, when, when you get them into English as something that they're going to be using to achieve other goals, to get through some work or to have like this kind of social interaction, then you can really change the way that they're learning English. Um, so that works really, really well in private uh, private language centers where uh, so much of how effective you are as a teacher is how you build relationships with your students. Um, though in a public school classroom, if you're going in there with 50 or 60 people, um, that, that, that's not, uh, it's not quite the same thing. That might be something you have to do after class with them. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's that being the... said, learning Chinese is extremely hard when you're starting out. And I remember I studied Chinese for a year before I went to Hunan. And the, my first teacher was someone who kind of was doing this. Uh, my first teacher in China for Chinese was doing this kind of more communicative approach. And I had to stop him like every three seconds. I said, what does that word mean? What does that word mean? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get it because, you know... Um, 
the basis for uh, an American who's starting to learn Chinese is nothing, right? And uh, whereas, like, in a private language center in China, the basis of English knowledge for a student is actually huge uh, when they're, you know, as long as they're an adult, uh, like, if they're 20 years old, they've had seven years of English classes, and you can start to draw on that knowledge in a different way. Yeah, that's some of the best insight, most intelligent insight I heard from language teachers and learners. Actually, I, I, I actually feel the same.、Um, I have studied English for so long,、uh, up until college, before I come to America. But I'm top of my class in English, but still battling in understanding what people are saying in the actual conversation here. I can understand my professor's lecture, lectures, no problem, but I cannot understand the. Students talking to each other, and I felt almost like a fish in a tank when I when I came here, looking at other people talking. That that's the feeling I I have, and I, and I think yeah. There's something natural about that. Like for me, like if like with my Chinese level, if I'm like watching a presentation、mm-hmm. or like you said, listening to a professor lecture, it's、mm-hmm. like much more comfortable. And then, like, if I notice,、uh, for example, I just moved back to the DC area. If I notice that the people sitting next to me in the cafe are Chinese and they're speaking、mm-hmm. Chinese to each other, I still get like nothing.、Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a、uh, there's tons of reasons for that, right? Like, cultural yeah, the, cultural the, influences on the topic is is、yeah. part of it for sure. Yeah, and the formal language and the colloquial language, the tones and、um, and most of it could be. Like they're gossiping, and you don't know what what's going on. And、uh, I I've always trying to switch the brains too, as you mentioned. And、um, I think it it's great that you're not. It's and it's important that you're not assuming your student to be dumb. Don't like just as if you're writing a book. Don't assume that your reader readers are are dumb, so that you dumb down the level of your work. That's not gonna help them, right? Not going to help the work either. Well, and、uh, with communicative approach teaching, there's like so so much stuff、uh, like written about this, and I'd hate to sound boring to any of your ESL experts who are listening, right? But with, with that communicative approach learning, like if you're dumbing down the conversation、mm. um, because you think you need to do that to reach a grammar or vocabulary level for the person you're talking to,、mm. then You're actually having a really boring conversation, <laughs> and、um, yeah. you know it, it, it's hard to learn a language based on boring conversations. It's really it, it's a lot more inspiring,、um, both in terms of like keeping the student's motivation level high for wanting to study English,、yeah. but also like just getting them to naturally be like, hold on, I'm going to look up this word really quickly because I really want to say something to you. Right? right, right that right. that helps a lot. It's the part. The motivation comes from wanting to express in English what I need to say in my mother tongue, and motivation comes also from oh, the, these are the English words that express thoughts that these English-speaking people would have. It's like right, up right. your space. I never had that thought before. It could only be more expressed or expressed in in English. It's self-expressing and also giving you more thinking space. I think.、Mm. So yeah, 
and and wanting to be very clear about what you want to say, yeah, right? That's like yeah. I don't want to say that I don't like that, but I want to say that I have complex feelings on this, right? Over the past six years, you've been in China. Have you been through any event, public event, that you feel like you're so excited to be part of? Oh sure.、Um, so like, there's all there's all kinds of like a, a huge range there, right? So my, I mean, even my first year, there was like student talent shows and things like that, and I was like my my school honored me by letting me be the.、Uh, One of the judges for the student talent show, and it's like, oh, cool, cool, this is great. <laughs>、um, like when when I was in Chongqing, I got to participate、um, in the very, very, very、uh, short version of the Chongqing Marathon, which was like cool. I've never, never even done anything like this in America. This is awesome.、Um, and so there's like, you know. Public events for like the place where you're working, which are fun, and then there's also these huge sort of like city-wide, municipality-wide events, right? And those those are fun to participate in for sort of like very different,、uh, very different reasons.、Um, God, though, like、uh, events、uh, at my last job where like I would do.、Um, Things like teaching students how to make pies on Thanksgiving, and I had like special special events that were focused on teaching students how to swim or、uh, having yoga practice with students and singing competitions and these graduation ceremonies where they gave a formal prepared speech, right? And so like holding events actually became like a normal part of my job in my in my last role. So that was that was interesting and fun and like. Those graduation ceremonies. It's funny because, like, for for us, for the ESL teachers, like, we're we're there to like listen to the speech and give them ideas about how to improve their speech, either from like、uh, mechanics of English perspective or from like a public speaking perspective, right?、Mm-hmm. And then you realize that when you talk to the students, like, for some of them, not for all of them, but for some of them, it's this major, like. Transformation in their own life—it's like a, a rite of passage, right? They're like, "Oh, I'm no longer、uh, a lower intermediate student. I'm now like a bona fide intermediate level student of English." And it's like, "Yeah, you go. <laughs> you just get on their on their side there, right?" Yeah, yeah that's great.、Um, there's other things like、um, marriages and family. That's a big public event.、Oh, I was able to go to. Uh, my brother-in-law's marriage a few months ago. That was that was very cool. That made me feel like, ooh, I'm kind of like a little bit more Chinese than I was before. And then, of course, everything around me was going on in Cantonese, and I didn't really know. But you know,、uh, you get those、uh, those family relationships as those start to open up. I, I, th- that's one that really made me feel like, wow, I have like an honest to God place here in China, which is quite a nice feeling. That's beautiful. Talk to us a little bit about、uh, acupuncture and Twina, as I know that you're so interested in that. Sure, sure. So、um, I, I'll preface this by saying, before I ever moved to China, I had studied like、uh, traditional Indian medicine, which is called Ayurveda in India and、um, also in America. And I used to work.、Um, As sort of like a massage or healing modality technician in an、um, at an Ayurvedic spot here in America,、uh, 
Um, so, like, I'd had some background in this, and, like, you know, like, this kind of, like, mystical coolness that is acupuncture and, you know, not just that, but also Taoism and, like, look how cool Chinese characters look. This is, these are some of the things that always kind of attracted me about Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when I went to China, I'd read books on acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I had, like, gotten acupuncture from local doctors here in the D.C. area. Um, and I was already interested in it. It was what was amazing is that I never took the time to do anything um, related to it my first year in China. Like, uh, I never got a massage, and like, like if you're looking for a good, interesting massage experience in China, always try a blind massage. They tend to not be sketchy um, in any of those ways, but like. Also, they can be very, very painful. <laughs> um, and there was, I, I lived down the street from this blind massage place my whole year in Hunan, and I never went there once, which is crazy for me because it was actually something that was like uh, a personal interest. I just never explored it for some reason. Um, the only interaction I had with a doctor my first year is I, I blew out my knee while hiking or on a hiking trip one time. I just like hadn't been taking care of my knees enough and like got this really bad knee problem. And... Like, my school, they took really good care of me, took me to the doctor. The doctor said that uh, I needed to keep my knee warm and that I should spray some stuff on it. And um, if I sprayed some stuff on the outside of my knee, it would eventually get better. Um, that did not work at all. I had a really bad knee problem for the last little bit of my first year in China. Uh, but when I came back to America, I actually got an acupuncturist in America to... to give me a few needles which kind of sent the shooting sensation through my leg and it was a lot better um so I'd had like these kinds of experiences before I was even really interacting with Chinese medicine in China right yeah. when I moved to Chongqing I realized that I was missing out on like a big part of what would be a cool experience for me and so like I started like going to the blind massage place that was like next to my house I have funny stories like one time, this blind, uh, like sort of like old blind Chinese guy is giving me this super good massage, mm -hmm. and he makes this joke to uh, me and the person that I had come in with, and he was like, "Yeah, I wonder if all the acupuncture points are the same on Westerners. Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing here. This is a first for me," <laughs> um, which is uh, uh, a funny thing to hear when you're sitting there like doubled over in pain from a massage <laughs> that this guy might not know what he's doing. Um, yeah, and then, uh, but sort of slowly and uh, over time, like, it went from, like, trying to find decent massage places, uh, wherever I was as I traveled to, like, especially after moving to Guangzhou, um, learning a lot about, um, traditional Chinese medicine because, uh, Actually, the, the environment in Guangzhou is extremely humid. It is a yeah, yeah. subtropical city, right? Um, and a lot of people uh, have trouble staying away from having, like, a really bad cold because of the humidity and, like, just that environment is very, very different unless you're mm -hmm. from the tropics, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of people get head colds and stuff like that. I remember I went into work one day um, and just like really starting to come down with a nasty cold mm -hmm. and like 
uh, my, the student I was teaching that day, we had a one-on-one -on -one class. Her name was Heaven, and mm -hmm. I swear to God, she was sent from God to help me. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, she was like, you do not look like you're holding up well. And I was like, no, no, no. And she's like, you need to try uh, Liang Cha, which is like traditional, especially Southern Chinese herbal medicinal tea right mm -hmm. and I was like oh yeah yeah you get the stuff everywhere there's Liang Chao places everywhere and she goes no 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 you gotta come to one of the real ones with me and she said when's your lunch break and I said my lunch break is in 10 minutes and so like we went over um I had like two hours you get like a very very good break between classes and a lot of these private English centers right mm -hmm. I had two hours we went to sort of like the next Jie uh, Dao or like yeah. kind of like sub-district I guess over and she showed me this very traditional oh she showed me two things one was Dun Tang which is like a slow cooked herbal medicinal soup which is uh, popular throughout China I think um, she sh and we had like pig's lung soup or something like that, which felt very healthy. Um, and then from there, she took me to this uh, Liang Cha or the medicinal tea place, and that place was cool. It was down this little alleyway, and it was like it was just a whole bunch of stoves with these huge clay pots on them, and there's herbs everywhere you can smell the herbs from like wow. the next street over and yeah. she just like put together this like tea for me and like gave me like a few days worth of tea to drink and like this other herb that they had there that she called Chinese chocolate <laughs> and uh, yeah really powerful stuff made me got me over my cold in a really quick way which is fun right um, there's yeah. a lot of things I don't know other about Huh? It's very it's very specific drink in in Guangzhou. People drink it when they're eating hot pot now all over China. They branded it too. I mean, they they. Oh it God! It. Well, this is a controversial, of course, uh, because Chado uh, Bao. Uh, yeah. I don't know the whole background to this. It used to be like a conversation starter for me. There's this <gasps> war between Wang uh, Wang Laoji and Chado yeah. Bao, yeah. and which one has the. Uh, real right to the brand and the uh, ingredients and stuff like that. That stuff's really good, and that stuff's really good, and it's based off of, um, it's it's a mix of herbs that's based off of uh, Lohan Guo, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, the, probably the biggest flavor is Lohan Guo, which is a, a, a tea that you can actually get at, like, people will, I, I remember there's this place that did Rojamo, which is like a Chinese hamburger. Um, yeah. down the street from me and like if you went up to them and you get the rojamo they just have luhan guo tea sitting there and you can just drink some of it right and it's really yeah. nice yeah, it's yeah. fun to explore the kind of like layers of you know that mixed Chinese like traditional and modern culture right? and so it's everywhere yeah, yeah. so it, it's the Chinese concept Chinese med medicinal concept of cold and hot and fire so it says if you are too fiery inside, you need to drink some of the uh, tea, some of the liang cha we have to make you cool down. But how comes that you have cold when you're too fiery inside? I, I guess that makes sense in, in a Chinese medicine way. Yeah, right. Uh, especially like uh, uh, that. That's a, another one. Like cold. Like uh, finding cold drinks is sometimes very hard. Like not so much in the big cities, but I remember. Uh, 
in Chongqing, it's almost impossible to find a cold beer for about five months of the year. Like I, I, I had days when like I literally went from like bodega to bodega being like, do you have beer? And they go, yeah. And I go, is it cold? And they laugh at you. Of course it's not cold. It's winter. How could you drink a cold beer? <laughs> oh, I was talking Just, about the cold and hot in Chinese medicine con- concept. Well, and and that that's it's part of it, right? Because like uh, my experience is like in Guangzhou, when it's like humid and yeah. uh, sort of the wrong time of year. If you have a cold beer, you'll do something in Chinese medicine called like shanghan, right? You'll get like oh, some shanghan. internal cold, yeah, yeah. which is uh, yeah, not 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 very advantageous to keeping away from having a cold. I'm really interested in the similarities between Indian Indian medicine and uh, acupuncture or, or massage you learn uh, as I was interested in that too so I know um, my way of explaining or what I think could explain um, acupuncture points is that it activates the chi right reiki or, or reiki in Japanese or energy yeah like the original sure. original energy that we all have coming out of in Indian terms the chakras and then uh, they um, with like Indian Indian Buddhism passed through Tibet and to China, and they developed uh, more chakras in Tibetan medicine or, or Buddhism. That has to do with how to activate your chi during meditation and and all all that. Um, so Chinese medicine was using that same idea of chakras too, right? So basically, your acupuncture points are are the uh, like little crossroads of your energy net. I, I don't know how to explain that really. If mm-hmm. you can explain it better. Right, right. I'm w- within um, Indian medicine. There's a, like a concept of nadis or like these uh, central energetic pathways within your body that uh, um, if they get blockages, you get sick, right? And yeah. That's kind of like the foundational concept of meridians in acupuncture and in a lot of uh, Chinese approaches to wellness. There's there's tons of similar things to them. Uh, yeah, and w- what's fun is that you get like these kind of like new age people who will tell you like, oh, it's all the same thing. And it's like, yeah, but if you start really learning about this stuff, you realize that the systems are totally not really that directly compatible. And they all, they'll have like, these different traditions that are based off of a very local way of living, right? Like, the way you eat in Chongqing, just as a crazy example, is completely different from the way you eat in Guangzhou. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the environment's very different, right? Mm -hmm. So if you eat, like, like, the amount of pepper you eat in Chongqing will definitely give you a sore throat in Guangzhou. (laughs) Yeah, it's really humid there, too. They they eat the spices to dehumidify, too. Mm. Seems to yeah, be, I don't know. Seems to be it's interesting the, the the like the 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 ancient correspondences between the medicine systems that, that that's something that like researchers are still kind of pondering about. Like that, there's nothing but you know this guy's theory, that guy's theory, right? Mm. Uh, I I just really I, I don't mind if you pr- say that I'm wrong in drawing similarities between the Indian and Chinese medicines. I just want to no. The, there's tons of similarities, and there's been over time. There's been like historical exchange between them, right? Like uh, within Indian medicine, they they talk about like uh, there's actually like whole books on like 
how they actually had like a really ancient form of acupuncture, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously with uh, the transference of Buddhism uh, uh, eastward uh, from India, like mm -hmm. it, you have this knowledge coming out of India, like especially about meditation and the ways mm -hmm. that that interacted with like ancient Taoism and mm -hmm. uh, very different approaches. Like at the, when Buddhism came to China, there was already this idea of like qigong or like true, true. practicing, uh, nurturing your inner vitality, right? Mm -hmm. Though, you know, it's changed so much and so much the, like when you're looking at these old civilizations, it's really hard to say what comes from where, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm really interested in Taoism too. That that's a whole new topic in from another episode, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, yeah, there was one time I'm in Boston. I went to Cambridge for a massage. Uh, they are doing European American massage, and that person massager told me, uh, their center, all the massagers in their center go to a a qi tuina massage place in in Chinatown, and he recommended me going there. Their sutuina and massage are totally different things. Massages, European yeah. or American massage is helping you to release your uh, muscle tensions, and tuina is for restoring your qi, or helping the blood. Mm -hmm. I heard very interesting. Right, right, and in different parts of China, like, um, like when you go into massage parlors, if you really look at like some of the information they have up on the walls, like I remember this one time in Chongqing, they were saying like. We practice the southern eagle form of massage here, and it's like you see that there's actually like these very different local traditions across China, um, uh, not just within uh, sort of the the 55 minority groups, but also within sort of like traditional Han culture. It's very localized and from part to part. Wow. Um, this idea of Chinese medicine being one thing. Is actually something that's uh, somewhat post-revolution, right? It's a it's a new idea that there's like this one traditional Chinese medicine or one acupuncture, right? Whoa, you have taught me a lot. I need to go back and explore more. <laughs> I know nothing about my culture, even though I was born and raised there. I, I know nothing too, but <laughs> we know nothing yeah. from different perspectives. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of uh, mystery things about Taoism and how to heal yourself through uh, Taoism medicine or even music frequencies. Uh, I'll shut up about that part that people would think That's I'm crazy. When I <laughs> yeah.